Dude. Dude. <laughs> oh, welcome to another episode of Pizza Punk, a.k.a. Live Pizza. That's right. We're live. We're serving up fresh, hot pie. Me and my man, JK. How's it going? Hey, hey, hey now. Um <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's li- It's not live on a Saturday night. It's live on a Monday night. But you know, we Very gotta good. get our, we gotta get our kicks somehow. So, so welcome to the show, Jay. Thanks, um, for JK, which is not his real name. That's like his stage name. I mean, the I'm all about name. stage. Yeah, dude. I'm all about the stage names. JK is a Renaissance man. This guy does everything. He is. He he's on the radio. He does horror happens, or he did. I don't know what the current status of horror happens is right now. He right. is uh, into podcasting. He is a journalist. He's a writer, a writer slash journalist. He writes for every magazine you could possibly imagine. And more. <laughs> I know about that, Jeff. I appreciate the props, though. <laughs> but hold on, let me finish blowing some smoke up your ass. Fair enough. He, fair enough. Go ahead. He he is uh, he has just embarked. On his filmmaking journey, well, he had been embarking for for some years, but he is taking the big plunge in sort of going on like a Bruce Wayne around the world. Bruce Wayne immersion, yeah, because when Bruce Wayne decided he was going to be Batman, he took a trip around the world and like oh, learned nice. all the different arts uh, and things <laughs> and stuff. And then when he came back to to Gotham City, he was Batman. So that's kind of you're in the you're, you're on your. You know you're 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 doing your thing right now uh, with with uh, the um, with film school. So so Jay's in right. film school. He is also a filmmaker in addition to being in film school. He's made several shorts, a couple of which I've seen. Um, great great stuff. God uh, bless you. Hey, and he's got the best shoes on the planet. This that guy. This guy. True. First thing when I met this guy, first thing I noticed about him was his his shiny. Fancy head, s- what? Yeah, head. right. Head, head, and then shoes. First, I saw the head, and I I went from the head down to the feet, <laughs> which sounds much more creepy than than it really was. Go down to his feet, and this dude is wearing just the coolest kicks you can imagine. And uh, where did we meet? Let's see. We met. Macabre Fair. Macabre Fair, yeah. Yeah, Macabre Fair. I was, it's so funny you bring it up, Jeff, about uh, the first time we met because I was just talking to Nathan Ludwig before we jumped on. I did an interview with him for Horror Happens, and we were talking about some of the festivals he circles in. And I still remember driving overnight to get to your morning screening of Romeo's Distress um, and being there for the donuts. And the aspect of having to drive back the following night because I wanted to make sure and get there. And I got there a little bit into the film, watched some of it, saw your Q&A, and then saw you afterwards. But Elsie and Adam's Macabre Fair Film Festival. Yes, sir. God bless. Rest um, yes, rest in peace to Elsie. So, yeah. So, I well, I had actually, I knew who Jay was because I read Horror Hound. Right. And I would always read Jay's reviews. And then I was like, whoa, that's the guy from Whorehound. This is so great. And he was yeah. just, he had a, he had a recorder out. He's just walking around talking to people. So I just, I just said hello. Cause you know, it was my first festival. And the thing that was told to me is that you just gotta put yourself out there, 
Right. And introduce yourself to people. It's the only way, you know, that's how you meet people. You, you put yourself out there and you just say hello and you try to make connections and talk and yada, yada, yada. And, right. you know, I, you know, it's fun. Well, here we are four years later, we still talk, you know, yes, I mean, there's something to be said about that. And um, my whole world, once I started going to film festivals, my entire world exploded. It opened up. Jay does not only is he i'd say he's a professional fester this dude goes to every single fest yep. imaginable and he also is like a judge and a panelist and yada 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 um tell me about your love for festivals that's a great place to start off with it jeff um you know for me i've been involved in horror the journalistic side of it primarily for almost a decade uh with the horror happens radio show Horror Happens Radio and now Scratching the Surface, which you can find on SoundCloud, which is now the podcast form of it. But when I was when we first met, I was doing four to five hours live every week of Horror Happens Radio. And I would talk anywhere from five to maybe seven guests per episode. And it's so funny you bring up Macabre Fair because I was going through the archives on SoundCloud and literally one of the years of Macabre Fair. They put me on the red carpet, which is a mistake, because I love to talk to everyone, which is a great thing. <laughs> but for me, I've always been my own, kind of my own person. I've, I've had people over the years who have helped me, including the ghost, who was a big part of it for many, a long time. And now my girlfriend, Susan Decker, who's uh, the composer on my short film, Within the Frame. And I was there by myself at Macabre Fair during a big ice storm, speaking of bad weather here in the Northeast. And literally, I was the only person that wasn't uh, doing video. And they put me at the end of the line because they thought it was the, you know, the only place for radio. And I ended up talking no less than probably 50 people on the red carpet. Crap. Yeah. And, and 50 people in like 15 or 16 interviews. I just talked to everyone that came through, maybe 20 years. I talked to everyone that came through. So for me, that was all part of Horror Happens Radio when it was a radio program on homegrown radio and rock rage radio and extreme alchemy radio years and years back. And as time has gone on, um, I kind of settled out of doing the live radio because I lost my passion for horror. Um, about this, about the time that we met, I was starting to get ready really? to exit it. And I ended up saying, well, I need to do something. Like I, I transitioned from swing, big band, jazz, jump blues and rockabilly radio to horror talk radio. Um, a, almost a decade ago, I was ready to transition out of horror, even though I loved it and I was a fan of it. And that wouldn't change. So I got more into film festivals. And I started at first going to a handful of them as part of the live radio show, like the New York City Horror Film Festival, Macabre, uh, ones like that, Boston Underground, you know, in the very early days for me covering festivals. And I moved on to doing, going from a handful to doing 10 plus. And then from 2017, to 2019, I believe that's correct, a uh, good three-year period, if you count the year before 2016, I was averaging around 20-plus film festivals a year. Unbelievable. And, yeah. And and you know what? For me, it really reinvigorated myself to covering horror and covering film and appreciating it in a different vein than I was. Because I'll be the first one to tell you, someone who's talked over to over who's had over 1800 conversations 1800. in under 10 years, you know, 
it's great to be a journalist and it's great to talk to people like yourself who's doing the meat work out there. But many people who are doing podcasts, no disrespect to them, but a lot of times it's people talking to each other and it's not people who really have the experience to do it. And, you know, that's why a lot of podcasts don't bring on guests because they don't know how to handle and talk to guests. And I've always been a great talker, but I'll be honest, many of the years I've talked, you learn how to talk to people. You learn about subjects, a lot of research, a lot of reading, always multiple viewings of films. So I had, you know, that care about my work, but without knowing it, it really became more of a challenge as the years went on. And I wanted to better myself. So I went to film festivals. I started covering them for Horror Hound and for Horror Happens and Dread Central and all of them over there. And so I became more of a student of the game, understanding. In fact, I spent 2019 on the road, 25 festivals. And I took wow. a Panasonic HD 4K camcorder with me. And I recorded all, uh, you know, as much as I could of the footage, not only to learn, but to get put together a pitch um, piece for a film festival travel guide, which I turned into kind of in, in issue 82 of Horror Hound magazine, which unfortunately was a, a victim of the pandemic. Uh, right at the crux of it this time last year, which is kind of crazy. I think we've been about a year or so uh, in the pandemic in some chart time. But Jeff, as I went through, I started going international as well. And I couldn't, I have, I, I'm trying to learn Spanish. You went to uh, Marbido or what's it, what's I went it called? To, uh, Macabro. Macabro. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I went to Macabro. I have been <laughs> in seven different countries. Um, I've been to Brussels International. I've been to... Uh, Macabro. I've been to Sitches. I've been to Fright Fest. I've been to, um, God, there's so many of them. I've been to a ton in North America and Mexico. I've went ahead and really, you know, put the initiative forward. And I'm not a trust fund kid. I'm not rich. I just work hard and I put my money forward and I make it as effective as I can to do this. And I've had help from Horror Hound. They've sent me some places, Dread Central, the occasional festival, but most of it was on my dime, in my experience. And it's been very rewarding, but also there's been consequences that went along with it, but that's a story for another time. And it turned into, as I came out of the film festivals in COVID, where we didn't travel anywhere this year, I went back to film school. And I went to film school and got into Montclair State. And, you know, at 44, I'm going to film school. And uh, I my first short's out there with that, within the frame. It's hopefully going to be playing some festivals. I've submitted it. But Film festivals have been a huge part, especially in the last four or five years for me. And even virtually now, I've moved from simply covering them, like you talked about with the Macabre Fair Film Festival, to judging. Uh, Shriekfest right. was one of the first ones I did with Denise Gossett. Uh, yeah, uh, Puff, I program now. I program for Horrible Imaginings, Horrorhound, Puff. Um, I'm, I've been on juries. Macabro is, is one of the juries I've been on. And it's been an honor to be able to work with these festivals. And if I died tomorrow, which I'm not, but if I die tomorrow, I, I've had a really good life, especially when it comes to that. And I've been very blessed to be able to meet amazing people along the way, like yourself, Jeff, who, you know, I've known for a long time. You were, you programmed, I believe if I'm correct, you programmed Don't Eat at Dave's. You were the first one to program it at the library. Yeah, so, man. Yeah. So that was a good time. I, because I am of the belief, if you have the ability to be inclusive, that you should always right include things like always. Because you know what, the more I feel like in not this doesn't go with every single thing, but there are certain things where like 
especially depending on length and running time, the of more course. the merrier, man. And it's yeah, just dude. like, it's like, why not? Why, like, why not, you know, uh, uh, do that? And so I, you know, that was a fun little event, you know, it was just a little event, but you know, it was, it was a fun, it was a fun little time. And I think in right. another life, if I, if I wasn't so focused on trying to create content, that right. is something I would totally have my fingers in those kind of pies. Well, you sure. never, you never say never when it comes right. to that. And you right. know, for anyone who's a filmmaker, I just said this to Nathan Ludwig, you got to know your lane. And for me, right. creating a 60 second, no budget, really kind of trauma-esque gross out short, which is a <laughs> lot of fun to make with my dad and, and my friend David and his mom and, and really do a lot of practical effects, you know, for the women experience I had. It was a blast to be able to do that and play some festivals, including the exhibition that you had up in New York State. And, you know, it's also moderating, too. You're getting to know people and being on both sides of the microphone. You know, right. I'm lucky enough to be a moderator for Horror Hound and Puff and a lot of these festivals who will have me to talk to filmmakers. Uh, Horrible Imaginings, another one. Big thing. You were on the panel, too. You were on the yeah. panels at uh, Nightmares. And panels and number. I was lucky enough that Jason and, and company felt that I could be on one of their panels. I have a lot of respect for the Nightmares Film Festival. And it was very cool to be on there. Nightmares. And then have people like Lucas ask me, you know, what 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 you know, what should I do? What should inspire me? And to be able to give my opinion. I'm not sure I'd give the same opinion now because it's been many a years and many a miles, but it's definitely great to be on there and you know, kind of being on the other side of the mic now, talking to you instead of being the one who's interviewing you, you talking to me. And it's been great as part of digging into the darkness, which we'll talk about as we go along. But this panel series has given me the opportunity to go out and do podcasts and do interviews and kind of start to branch off on what I do, which I think out of everyone I know might be one of the most challenging things to kind of get a gauge on for people, you know, because there's well, so many let's people. talk about that for a minute. Tell me about so. Tell me about this the the newest venture wow. that you have the 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 big the big happening. Let's hear all about it. I I don't know the full details. So. That's okay. Yeah. Well, for me, for me, and, and thank you for asking. Um, digging into the darkness is a culmination of a lot of things, including the aspect of my years of radio and broadcasting, um, writing you know, moderating panels, being around film festivals. I was lucky enough, you know, to work also in the special needs field. And I own my own business consulting on special needs on the students on the spectrum. And when it came to that, I went ahead and I was lucky enough to go to Montclair Film, which is this really awesome little movie house in Montclair, New Jersey. And they do a I've been there. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, Do they have a stage. It has a stage. Uh, no, that's the Montclair Film Festival. The 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 uh, the aspect of Montclair Film is the little theater across the street from it. Okay. So I know exactly what you're talking about. You're talking about the the Claridge, um, cinema that would that used to be open. They're across the street, and they're a great. They closed down. Uh, yeah, they did. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I don't necessarily know if it's a result of the pandemic, but it's a lot of different things, and it's unfortunate because like so many of the great movie houses. They're disappearing. Um, but that's a story for another time. Montclair Film, you know, I reached out to Tom and Sue and Jill, who run the variety of educational programming there. And the end of 2019, 
I had brought up about going ahead and doing a film festival exhibition program like we're doing with Digging in Darkness, except with film festival projects that were on the fest trail. Because I really was venturing to a lot of festivals, a lot of PR people, filmmakers like yourself. And I wanted to be able to go ahead and um, give them an exhibition in Montclair. Well, COVID happened. And COVID kind of ended that dream or postponed it. But Jill, who is one of the great minds there, um, she reached out to me a few months ago and she said, listen, um, we, we, we're interested in expanding our educational programming, our cinema discussion programming. You want to do something in horror? I know we've talked about it before. You know, when, when my student was in there with the um, special screenings surrounding special needs students, uh, young adults, I would talk with her about that and the, the people who worked in Montclair Film. And so we got it together with Sue and we're so excited because it's coming to fruition this Sunday, February 21st, and you can still join the virtual sessions. We have five virtual sessions focusing on Netflix streaming horror. And basically the whole premise of it is we're going to present every week. We're going to ask you to watch a film on Netflix, a horror film. Uh, they include Dark Light, Stephen King's 1922, The Black Coat's Daughter, Freaks, and 1BR. And we're going to profile one each Sunday for five Sundays in a row with some of the creators, the DP or the composer or the filmmaker or the producer. They're going to come in and they are going to talk about, in fact, I see right there, thank you for bringing up the press release. Um, we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk to those minds. And the great thing about this is it not only is educational, because whether you're a fan, filmmaker, peer, or something in the middle, you can go ahead and, you know, be screen to screen with these really creative minds that are creating some of the most important horror of this decade, let alone any decade. I mean, films like Dark Light, which is a great throwback creature feature that surrounds a family in peril and returning home. Stephen King's 1922, a great adaptation through Netflix of uh, Stephen King's work with Thomas Jane and Molly Parker, The Black Coat's Daughter, Oz Perkins film. We're lucky enough to have producer Adrian Biddle as a part of that, who's, you know, the, she's the only producer that's a part of the series. Wow. And this is just the first step, Jeff, in what we hope will be a continuation uh, beyond the first season, virtually, of The Game of Darkness, but also Freaks, which is a great superhero horror sci-fi hybrid film. Ah, I've heard about this. Yeah. And what wait, 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 wait. The throwback. That, came, that came out a while ago. No, actually, see, that's the funny thing about it. And that's, again, the experience of the film festival. Most of these films are within the last couple of years. So I guess it depends on what you mean a while ago. If you mean over the last couple of years, absolutely a while ago. Yeah. yeah. What happens with this is a lot of these films, Netflix is wonderful. I love Netflix. I love the original content. I love what they do. But especially with them changing over to more original content, uh, originally created content, and no festivals, there's not a lot coming through there. So we had to right. work with the library that they had to watch. And they don't even offer a lot of classic films anymore. Because no. Shutter has taken over that. A lot of the Roku platform channels have taken over that. So they don't really do that anymore. So we went with five more modern titles. And they're all incredible because they span, Jeff, the whole entire landscape of horror. And if you go to MontclairFilm.org under the adult, the 16 plus adult education tab, you can go ahead and register now. It's a small fee for five sessions. It's only 75 bucks 
and you're face to face with them. If you think about it, because of the fact that we're not really doing anything and don't get me wrong, I understand that in this uncharted time, you know, we have a lot of different uh, changes and conflicts, but for $15 a class to be face to face with these creators and to go ahead and like a film festival, like a convention, get that time to talk with them, ask them questions in the town hall sort of setting where I go ahead. Exactly. Thank you for posting that up where I go ahead and I'm moderating and I'm asking questions, but it's about people listening and learning and inquiring. As you can see right there, you know, that that's, you know, that I love the picture that they put up there with the hands and stuff like that. It's an, it's a nice spooky picture, but it's a great series that's going to embrace horror and show why it is one of the most amazing genres of cinema you're going to find. And you'll be able to go screen to screen with these people each Sunday and for the five Sundays in a row. And you can see some of the names that are involved with it. And don't get me wrong, the names are subject to change because just like you and I, if we get work, what do we need to do? We need to pay our bills. So yeah, we're working with the films. We're making sure we get people in every single week. And we've got some great ones kicking off with uh, Dark Light. We were going to have Padre Reynolds on, but he got an incredible opportunity. So we're going to have on his composer, Holly Amber Church, and his DP, David Matthews. So we're going to talk with them as part of it. And it's going to be really incredible. But we're going to have a lot of wonderful names that are a part of it. So we're very excited about it. It's going to be great to talk with them and have everyone who registers and joins us to also shoot out questions about it. If you want to, we're not pressuring you at whatsoever, but if you watch the film, take some notes, ask a couple questions because there's no silly question. Those are the ones you miss are the silly ones. Absolutely. Ask because those people want to talk to you and want to be a part of it. And I want you there and you're not spending your money on film festivals and conventions. Why not support Montclair film? Who's one of these small movie houses that needs your support during the pandemic. And support these filmmakers and films because they want to know that your support's out there and they want to know that you have a voice and they want to talk with you about your voice. Well said. Truly well said. Thank you. I'm out of breath. You can tell that Jay is a radio man because he can talk as <laughs> much can. as I can. Without breathing. <laughs> <laughs> he can talk as much as I can. I can filibuster, but Jay, yeah. oh my God, Jay, you got to teach me your secrets, truly. Well, it's passion. That's the thing. <laughs> and Jeff, Jeff, that's something yeah. we both share a lot. Yes. It's passion. And you have to have passion to be able to be in cinema and be a filmmaker. And you also have to be passion to be a fan. Horror is the most passionate film genre. It really is. Fine. So it really is. It really truly is. Well, I got to tell you, that was a great breakdown and you, people, the, the, the information is in the chat and I'll put it in the, uh, underneath the, uh, description of this, uh, awesome. Thank uh you. show when it's done. Let me ask you a question, Jay. Sure. Please. It's a question I ask everybody here on the show. It's the thesis. It's the, 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 the roots of the tree that is the show. Okay. Um, it's, it's a very, important question and it it basically sure. started the whole idea of uh it, it's it's uh the foundation from which uh everything else that we do on the show comes from this question the question is is pizza punk and if it is punk why is it punk or why is it not punk and jay what is it that you're eating right now well i happen to have pizza with me so whoa <laughs> it's, it's true. Oh. Hmm. So you're asking if pizza is punk. 
Is mm. pizza punk? And if it is, why is it punk? And if it's not, why is it not punk? And the answer, as I tell every, I told Jay already, but I'm going to just say it again here for the, for the, uh, uh, whoever rewatches this. Um, sure. It's a subjective question. There is no right or wrong answer. It's just what your two cents are. So what are your two cents, Mr. K? Pizza is absolutely punk. And pizza is punk. Not as punk as dumplings, because I always think of old boy when I think of dumplings. But pizza is punk because pizza has been involved in cinema for so long. And it's such a connecting tissue to a lot of amazing stories and conversations when it comes to key characters and key moments of film. They name movies after pizza. Look at this. <laughs> they create cartoons after yes. pizza. And I'll tell you something. For me, one of the greatest anti-heroes of all time is Casey Jones. Yeah. Casey Jones is in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And to sit there in the humor surrounding pizza is incredible. So it's very much punk because it's been the catalyst and the focus of a lot of great cinema and TV. But on a more personal level, why is pizza punk? Because pizza for me has been shared on so many amazing occasions at festivals across the world. And to know how much the pizza is, how good it is, or how crappy it is, because there is crappy pizza out there. Don't don't fool yourself. Not not they like an elf, the greatest cup of coffee. This is a shitty cup of coffee, as yeah. she said. But pizza for whether it's good or it's bad, it's punk because only punk pizza, only the idea of pizza could bring people together like that around the table, eating greasy food and sitting there and not regretting it the next day. I so that's it. why pizza is punk. And I love pizza. Mwah. And I'm excellent. So much more. Hey, hey, that's hey perfect. Perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. So, um, no, that's great. That's great. I like that. And I like that you're, you're coming at it from a film i usually have music people on so it's nice to hear from the the film side of things uh i also just want to say one of the movies i've seen uh, god I, I already i already dropped the list uh one of the movies that that jay oh it's right here actually uh one of the movies that jay mentioned that really stood out to me that just like blew me away was uh one bedroom was phenomenal yeah, One BR is a, was a phenomenal, phenomenal film that just really took me by surprise. It's on Netflix, and you know, again, within number one, yes, number one at one point, was, yes, yep. that's so hard to be able to do. And I'll tell you something, Jeff, this yeah. might be for the entire list the most personal film on the list for the filmmaker because David Marmer, who I've been lucky enough to interview a couple of times, and everyone that will be a part of this. At one point or another, I've interviewed or I've talked to. I know them. So I want to right. vouch for them and make sure with the first season especially that it's going to guarantee what you're willing to invest your time and money in. But David Marmer, who lives in Los Angeles, this story of 1BR, why it's about a young woman who's trying to find her way, it's all about his experience in Los Angeles. And those who don't know the story, of it's a, com a community film. I think that's the best way. <laughs> you know, I like that. Well, just like one bit, just like freaks, you don't want to go in knowing too much because then it kind of spoils what you're looking for. And I have all the films on this list. This might be the most line crossing of the films. 
Because there are some oh, yeah. places that this film goes to that David, cast and crew push that even in a modern age of what we're in, you kind of sit back and question. But that's the beauty of the horror with this film because you're willing to take that journey even if you're pushed a little bit over that line. You know, I love the the writing is really yeah. great because um, it's not – the story doesn't – I don't want to spoil it. Uh, the story doesn't. The story doesn't give. The story doesn't give you the whole right. Caboodle. It just. Right. It just implies a lot of things. It leaves right. a lot of open space for the uh, for the uh, audience to fill in whatever gaps they want to fill in. And right. I just I love writing like that, and it's like something that I would always want to aspire to in my own work even though I make work that is so not what that is. Like that's something that I, isn't it funny? Yeah. But isn't it funny? I, I think you can relate to this. It's funny how we can have taste. There's, ta this is, I'm always talking about this. I think Quentin Tarantino said this, there is taste and then there's ability. And the thing that I'm always trying to do is I'm trying to close the gap between my taste and my ability to execute taste like it. And there's there's a gap, you know, meaning like my ability to execute what I think is going to be really great in my head based on the things that I watch is not – it doesn't always translate. It doesn't always come out, you know, like you can imagine this – I love that that meme of like the, the – uh, that you're picturing a beautiful stallion in your head and then when you draw right. it, it looks like a five-year-old drew it. And it's not for – the lack of trying, you know, it's right. just, <laughs> and that's his debut feature. So imagine unbelievable what able to do. Unbelievable. And uh, re remember folks, it's not always, it's not one person. It takes a village as they say right. to make a film you got a team to help. Yeah, you, you, absolutely. But they do a tremendous job with what they have location cast, really great producing. I give credit to a local company for the work they did as producers and promotion. But it's really just an amazingly talented group that came together to make a really, really unsettling film that you're right. It really kind of hints, but at the end you see what the the whole picture has been that's been kind of shrouded. Right. You do. You do. Yeah. And one of the things I love about the writing and characters, Jeff, is that with 1BR, it's not straight up white males or, or white females or one particular focus on race or gender. It is so multicultural and multi-gender based that this community coming together, there's a reason why they come together and why they're coming from so many walks of life. And as you get to know more and more about it, what they focus under one banner with, even though they are individuals from different nationalities, races, and genders, it's terrifying to know that you could fall into something like that, whether it's by accident or you choose to. And that's right. what makes this community film so good and one of the reasons why it's the last film we're going to talk about on march 21st the final sunday with digging into the darkness again monclairfilm.org you can go to but we're going to talk down because it's absolutely so different than everything else that we're going to see on the sundays and again horror is fluid you can see it with the landscape we're presenting it's so true man it's so true um uh, what what else have you seen recently that has just knocked your socks off? Have you been watching a lot of stuff, or have you been just busy with school and 
I've been busy. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I put together a list this year, and for the first time in like four years, it wasn't strictly film festival stuff. And that's what I've done for years now because I never had much of the time, Jeff, to go out and watch a lot of stuff. So I finally did this year. And I'll give you one. I'll give you my number one film that I thought really knocked my socks off. And it's a lot of the stuff that was on my list. You can go on, on letterbox.com. Oh, you're on Letterboxd? Yeah, you can go on letterbox.com. And the one film that really knocked my socks off was something that came up a year before, which was Volition. Tony Dean Smith and his brother Ryan Smith put together this project. They, they're uh, up north, and they created a story about this central character who, like a lot of things we see now with superpowers, we never really see the dark side of superpowers. And Freaks does a great example of this as part of the Land for Dean of Darkness. But so does Volition, where you have a centralized character um, who basically kind of has clairvoyance and he can only see his future. And one day he gets a glimpse of what's going to happen to him after he is struggling with this responsibility. And this character, why he is somewhat of a scumbag, he's an endearing scumbag. He's someone that you can understand what he's going through and why his life has turned out that way. He gets a premonition about his death, and all of a sudden, all these pieces start to fall into place. Mm. And it's an incredible sci-fi horror hybrid that feels like you're in a maze, and slowly you're getting towards the center. And as you move more towards the center, the idea of time travel, the idea of, of power like that, of the responsibility, the temptation of it, the, the things that could turn you away... And bring you more to a protagonist side. Really great character development. Wonderful sound design. If you're a fan of sound design, you need to watch the film. They do a phenomenal job. And just an amazing time. I saw it several times on the festival trail. And it's on Amazon Prime right now. Highly recommend it. My number one for the year. Uh, without a doubt. But again, Jeff, there I didn't have a whole lot of time. Because I actually made a short film this year. And went back to Mazel Tov. Yeah, thank you very much. And you know, I've seen it. I've seen it. Yeah. It's a great short film within the frame. And so funny, you go ahead and talk about you know creating that and where ability meets reality and what you're able to do. And for me, that was something that with with the my first student film in my first semester, it really was a challenge to stay in my lane and know what I could do and match my idea of an urban legend. And adapting that and bringing that to life because, you know, there's plenty of urban legends out there, but not a lot of them are really covered. You know, right. you don't really get urban legends because they're tricky yeah. to do. So I was lucky enough because in a COVID time, student film, um, I did a lot of work myself because of safety. And I really matched the abilities I could do and the restrictions I had and created something I'm very proud of. And the, the entire uh, cast and crew, uh, including Sarah uh, Schutz, who is big with Teresa and Allison. She's done a uh, she's done a lot of work with Jeremiah Kip. She is really an incredibly talented actress. In fact, she was just in Black Wake also. Um, really talented New York City based actress. She is the lead in the film, and oh. basically um, an experiment in abstract art and creative uh, terror and dread. And there's very little dialogue. It builds from a story of voyeurism into obsession 
and then into something far worse than you could ever imagine would be on Polaroids. Wow. Now, tell me, uh, there are a lot of Polaroids in this film. How, what was that process like doing all that with the Polaroids? Like, you got to literally go out and shoot on the Polaroids. Oh, it was great. And, you know, it's so funny because I actually have a Polaroid camera. And I thought I was going to be able to do that. But here's the thing. Just like anything else, Polaroids are, are here and they're gone. So all the film I purchased, original Polaroid film, was expired. So I really oh. couldn't go ahead and shoot them. So a blend. Well, did you try anyway? Oh, I did. Absolutely. I tried. Yeah. And between eBay and modern technology, I was able to create what I want. Because for those who don't know, I, you know, I live up in Blairstown. And Blairstown has had so many urban legends, including one called the Polaroid Trail. And the Polaroid Trail is all about this couple. And it's so funny because an urban legend, Jeff, can have so many um, versions of it. Yeah, variations, right. Variations, exactly, right? Yep. Exactly yep. Where totally. And with the Polaroid Trail up near Great Meadows, this couple walked into, was walking through the woods, walked into this uh, clearing and found all these Polaroids spread around. No rhyme reason why they were there. As they picked up the Polaroids, they were looking at the Polaroids, they became more terrifying. And so once they finally said enough's enough, unlike a horror film where you just move forward, they ran to get the police. And guess what? When they came back, they were all gone. So I wanted to adapt that urban legend to my student film and do within the frame. And for the Polaroids, I had a writing conflict from the beginning that because the film was expired and we're on such a tight budget, because I'm the one who's financing it, you know, and, and I didn't want to spend too much, but I wanted to get out there and make sure I was able to create something that would represent in festivals that I would get an A on. I finished with an A on it, top of the class, which I was so proud of everyone involved uh, for making that happen. And I went ahead and between an app on my phone, app on my phone, which created Polaroids, and there's several of them out there, and going on eBay and buying old Polaroids, which I was able to find some incredible ones out there, batches of them, like 70 or so, to build, help build the Polaroid field, and I'll leave it at that. Um, and my DP on it, um, Emily Harding, who's also in my film class, she graduated this year from Montclair, and congratulations to her. She came on, and she went ahead and incorporated the aspect of the Fujifilm minis, and which was really interesting because I had originally wanted to do all traditional Polaroids, whether it was the app and what we would shoot and I would get off of eBay, but I was able to adjust the story like I did for COVID protocol with the lead actress having the mask on. I was able to, you know, conquer these conflicts in the writing and make them fit with the characters that are in there. Now, do I think they're fully fleshed out as much as I would like? No, because we had to stand there a certain amount of time. And right. How long did you have to shoot the whole thing? Yeah, exactly. It was, it was very challenging, but I also had the actress for six hours. So we had to shoot everything, all of her stuff in six hours. And we had two days of shooting one Jeff, where we did an entire photo shoot with the Fuji film of all the Polaroids we we're going to feature. And then we had another day where we did all the exteriors and we set up the Polaroid field. And I'll tell you what, between cutting up postcards, making Polaroids, buying Polaroids, the Polaroid minis, printing up Polaroids, there must have been over 700 Polaroids in that field. Wow. So it was insane to do. 
but it was great because the challenges were something that I was able to learn from and something I was able to, I think, very effectively do. And then in post, um, I was able with Movie Studio to add some of the effects and distortions and really create something that I was very impressed with because we weren't supposed to have really any dialogue with it. So it had to be really sound and score-based. And my, my right. composer, Susan, she took quartz and bronze bowls, singing bowls, and we did an entire score with it. And it was phenomenal because it added a different dynamic. And then taking what – basically, I did all practical sound on this. There was not anything that was really at all. there. It went through uh, wow. a couple of programs, but it was all practical sound we were able to do. So the Polaroids um, really were the catalyst for a lot of what you saw there, and it really opened up a lot of doors we never thought that we would with within the frame. That is something else, man. I mean, that is – that's and that's what ultimately happens. You fi really find out what you're made of right. when you're trying, yeah, uh, to do Ability something. Meets. It meets it. Yes, you're right, right. Right. You bridge. Yeah. You bridge your. You, you try to uh, close close the gap. I got to tell you, I have a bit of a horror story. So I started on my sure. second feature film, right? Uh, and that was last. We shot the first. I, I was trying to do it in blocks. Speaking of time crunch, right. I was trying to do it in blocks. Uh, the first shooting block was a weekend. So I was like, oh, I'm going to get this done over several weekends. Um, I started shooting. Uh, the, we Our first weekend was March 8th, 2020. Oh, wow. <laughs> I shot 20% of the film was shot. I shot 20% of the film in the can, all the scenes of the main character's apartment, everything done, and then COVID hit. And that... Wow was I haven't shot anything since. And, you know. I uh, have a story, my friend. But that, so crazy yeah. because when we did this, as part of the protocol, I can't tell you how many masks, hand sanitizer. I had people signing COVID releases. I did everything I was supposed to do because we shot it on a controllable uh, set, my aunt's house up in Sussex County. So I had the freedom to do what I wanted to do. And it also helped to form the story. but. Uh, there, there's pictures of everyone with masks, face shields, gloves, six feet apart. And you talk about how a character is based on your restrictions and challenges. Sarah was amazing because she was able to wear that mask and her talent. This is one of the reasons why I brought her on. She was my first choice. She was able to emote like a professional behind the mask and really sell the intrigue, the horror. It's the hard to do. It's hard it to is. do. Yeah, and I'm not saying that that another actress couldn't have done it, but she did with her look and her, her talent and her emotional um, um, range. And at the end, what she's able to sell and the tricks she used as a professional, you know, the mask was a hindrance, but it fit the story and she made it work and we made it work. And she was amazing on there. And actually, she's recovering right now. So I want to give a shout out to Sarah, who's recovering. I hope she's feeling well and uh, sending a lot of love and thanks as always. And I look forward to hopefully the, the film plays Jeff, because I look forward to hearing, you know, she wants to join about, you know, her experience when we do Q and A's and stuff, because a very inexperienced director right here, there's no, no doubt about it. No ego, no nothing. It's, it's a reality check when it comes to it, but she was great working with me and Dennis and David and, and Emily and my aunt and my cousin phenomenal when it comes to it. And, and it really is true. 
that the restrictions shape what you do. And I can't tell I saw bags of COVID protection stuff that I, I just have put aside because I need I overbought, but I, I just didn't want to miss anything. So. I suppose the type of production, it's always predicated on the type of production as well. And, you know, it's True. just like in the micro budget world, it is really, really difficult to be COVID. I mean, that was, that's exactly yeah. the reason why I haven't shot anything since because, you I know, it's like, it's like you call up your actors, like, so how do you feel about doing this? And blah, blah, blah. They're like, well, you know, we got to wait until there's a vaccine. It's like, oh, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't blame them at all. I, I get it. I get it. But it's yeah. just like, it's like, you know, and that's why, you know, I think the, le the biggest lesson that could be taken out of something like that. And, you know, again, I, a testament to your success as well. And what you guys did is to try not to, to wait so long to shoot your film. If you have the ability right. to shoot it as quickly and as fast as possible, because what you're essentially doing is, you want all these elements have to come together at this one time actors and props and right. you know sets and and camera people or whatever it is that you're doing all have to come together at this one time to make to do your thing the more times you try to conjure that with without the resources to do it the more likely you are your movie is not going to succeed if you are in a micro budget setting and that is the painful truth that i and others have learned but you know and you're right in what you're saying jeff and i'll tell you something if i did not have the time and i did not uh, you know going back to film school motivated me to want to do this because otherwise i probably would have not shot the short film especially during a COVID time i'd always had the idea of wanting to do it but this was really a catalyst for me to go ahead and do that and to meet people like emily and sarah and you know on the festival trail and in in film school to help me, you know, form that idea. But when you look at it, you're absolutely right because a lot of the stuff I did, especially the practical sound and a lot of the pickups were just me. So you've right. got to make sure everything is organized. And I think we did a pretty good job as a producer of getting everything on. It sounds like you did. Done. But there's also things that we missed, Jeff, that would have been great as a part of it. Part of the climax we never even shot, which opened up doors for other things and allowed me to rethink and do things on my own. And that's not always the case. In fact, that's almost never the case. But because of this circumstance, like you said, it just worked. So, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I totally get it. Uh, so, in your, what, what are, you've talked about all the festivals. You've been to a lot of festivals. And, folks, you right. have to think about this too the idea of traveling 25, 25 festivals over a course. Yeah, it's like 25 yeah. weekends. There's 52 weekends in the year so it's like literally spending half half the half the year on the road in some my way car, shape my car hates me your car hates you but it's also uh, your car may hate you but your car but you are your car's best friend at the of same course, time I so um do you, do you have you named your car does your car have a name oh sure it does what is it asami look behind me Asami. Oh, oh from, uh, yeah, from Audition. Yeah, yeah, you love Audition. I love Audition. That's signed by Mike himself. I was lucky Have enough in 2019 to go up to Tiff and meet him. It was awesome. I bet you enjoyed that. That's awesome. I'm happy for you. Did you have you heard of this? All right, there's so uh, there's a Kurosawa, not Akira Kurosawa. There's another Kurosawa, unrelated right. to Kurosawa. He made a film called Creepy. It's currently 
streaming on Canopy, and I know you're like really into like Asian horror. Oh, I love it. Yeah, so I was wondering if you've heard of this film called Creepy. I actually haven't. No, I'm always looking for recommendations. I'll check it out. It's on Canopy. I haven't watched it yet, but I've been told that it's like twist after twist after twist, which really has me intrigued. Cool. So I want to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to check that out for sure. Uh, I just saw the untold. I'm sorry. Have you seen the call? No, not yet. Oh, so damn good, dude. You got to watch it. Speaking of twists. Oh, really? Okay. I'll check that out. You know what I watched that was pretty good? It it kept strung me along was uh, the rental which was on uh, Showtime. I don't know if it's anywhere Absolutely. else. Oh, yes, Mental. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Dave, Um, what's Dave's last name? Uh, I don't know, but you know, man, you Franco, know. Every- Dave Franco. Dave Franco. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Dave Franco's first film. Yeah. And that film is really, really, I watched that as part of the IFC slate, IFC Midnight slate at the end of the year. That's, uh, Rent-A-Pal was on my list as well. Oh, Love I Rent-A-Pal. just watched it. Just watched Love it. Love Rent-A-Pal. But the, re- the rental is really uneasy because, it yeah. really taps into a central fear that when you're staying at someone else's property or house, you have no idea what is around you or right. what's watching you. And Jill Six does a great job with her short film from uh, two or three years ago called 42 Counts, which is based okay. on um, a real life true crime. of This guy who was recording tenants and it's oh freaky as hell, but the Isn't rental really taps into cameras. That. 13 yeah. cameras, maybe 13 and 14 cameras. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I don't know who the, the lead actor is, but man, he is freaking weird looking. He was in the Block Island Sound and he is terrifying. He's oh a weird God. looking guy. I, I gotta be honest with you, that movie kind of angered me. I was not not connected. I was disappointed. I was disappointed in it. Yeah, it was honest. not uh it was that was not particularly my cup of tea, but I, I stuck through it. But I thought the rental definitely handles that material better. And you know what's yeah. funny about the rental without spoiling anything? Um uh, uh I really was more invested in what was going on with the couples than I was with the camera stuff. Like I liked yeah. the camera stuff ultimately, but I found the couple stuff. And you know, I I should have known it was uh, produced by Joe Schwamberg. And yeah, co-wrote it too. Yes. Yeah. So he that guy is like this guy is this he's guy great. is the warrior sage man because yeah. he's basically cracked the code. He's making movies for such small amounts of money that he just it's all he does is just make movies and he owns these movies and. Right. I mean, him, like the Duplass brothers, like these guys, right. like the way that they just do. I feel like Jeremy that Gardner. Is- Look at Jeremy Gardner, what he's oh. doing. I mean, it, it, you know, Jeff, it's so you say that because, and I'll go from it from two perspectives. One from a festival perspective. If you want to go and make a feature, a debut feature, yeah. really simple formula, a few characters, relatable yep. conflict, and one location. Yeah. Simple. Don't yep. go out and try and recreate the wheel, folks. And then from a filmmaking perspective, work within what you have available. Because right. for within the, the frame, everything was there for me to do it. And it was a concept, Jeff, during COVID that fit. I was with film students who were 20 years younger than me, more than mm-hmm. that. And they were they were coming up with these, these things that, well, we're going to shoot all this dialogue. And we're going to have multiple rotations and multiple... You're in a COVID time. Why? What? It makes no sense. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm not saying it won't be amazing. 
but just realistic you don't have a whole lot of dialogue you have restrictions do what you have and if you can go ahead and space it out go for it and that's why jeremy gardner is so good the battery the battery is a great infection film because it's handful of locations it's roughly two people it's in a one room. it's one location it's one well, location. no i'm talking about the car at the end right when, when he's in the car at the end um but the whole point is the whole point is that when you look at it it's limited locations and simplicity you know where simplicity gets a lot of these filmmakers tribeca yeah that's where it is you go to tribeca you look at the the range of genre-esque films all simple even ann timpson's come to daddy one location now you have elijah wood and stephen mccaddy don't get me wrong that's fantastic but it's interesting characters a quirky conflict and a lot of just one location and that's let's it go, let's go back to the battery for a minute because the yeah. battery is one of my all-time favorite films because yeah. The Battery was the film that made me realize that I should just – I don't have to go any – I don't have to be in L.A. I don't have to be in Hollywood. Right. I don't have to be in New, in New York City. I just have to be right where I am. Right. I just need a little bit of money, and I need to go and just make my own film, which, and that's, which, which I did, and I was directly – with the guy, with the sound guy from the battery, no less. He was the. Oh no shit! He, I didn't know that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The the guy they had a six man crew, and the sound guy was also my sound guy, and he also did the music, and he was a producer, and uh, I couldn't have made awesome. the film without him. So it was just me and him. We made that movie. Romeo was made with just me and him. But what's funny is the battery is this exercise in creative minimalism. In right. the sense of, you know what the the uh, the battery to me is also a little bit flawed. I'm about to criticize the battery, right. but I criticize it because I love it so much because I worship Please. it. I almost wish, and I say this as a fan of the battery, I almost wish that we never saw a single zombie until they get to the car. I think that is the one thing. Like if as a backseat armchair quarterback on Monday morning, you know. Telling it, telling it how it is years later. If the, I like the one thing that I wish that they had done was don't show me a zombie. Uh, it, the film was so good. The film yeah. is so good that it doesn't even need the zombies until the third act. That's how good this film stands on its own. So my criticism is actually a compliment at the same time. And when they get to that car. Right. It's perhaps one of the most brilliant third acts because what happens is they're in a jam, the car right. dies, and right. they don't know. They literally thought of this on the spot. They're like, okay, our car is dead. And it's like this is the type of stuff that should be like the battery should honestly be taught in, in filmmaking classes because it is a textbook example of going, okay, our, our car died, which was one-tenth of their budget was the car. Right. Paid six hundred dollars for this car. Our car has died. What the fuck are we gonna do? Right. Uh, and they decide. Well, let's have the whole third act in the back of this car. Well, maybe I think that was already kind of written like that, but they had to just stay put and do it in the back of the car. And then they take it to a whole nother level. Because speaking of all, remember what we were talking about. The um the you have all these elements for a limited amount of time, and then you know that's it. Right. They only had enough actors to even attempt to right. show a whole of zombies <laughs> for two days. They right. had two days, and they had to shoot the whole third half of the movie. And so they decided, because they didn't have enough time, they said, I know. 
Let's get all the big scenes that we need. And then right. once we're trapped in the car, we're uh, spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen this by now. But, you know, I mean, listen, if you. If I'm you in get, years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to spoil this one because I love it so much. The uh, They put up sheets right. around the car. You know this. We're just talking yeah. about this. They put sheets up around the car to block out the people. And then they just shook the car. It is right genius this is genius to me and and then they take it another step further where they're like okay we don't have any zombies how are we going to film this the most climatic part climat climat climatic part of the film where where he's got to run out and get the keys and bring them back how are we going to show this i know let's show nothing you know what they did they did the reservoir uh concept which is we're not going to show you the bank robbery we're going to show you all the stuff that happens right. after the bank robbery and before the bank robbery. So it's like, we're not going to show you the action of Mickey running out and getting the keys. We're going to, or Adam is Adam to run out and get the keys. We're going to sit with Mickey in the trunk for an unbroken 12 minute take 12 minutes, because that's how long the Canon 5d records for. And wow. we sit there and they did. Yeah, they, that's exactly why it's a 12 minute take. So and the film is 100, 100 something minutes long. So right. one tenth of their film was done in one take. Isn't that amazing? Of, and you know what? I got to tell you, I, I hate to get vulgar here, vulgar here for a brief moment. Here, that stuff gets my dick hard, dude. Like I yeah. just fucking I just like I, it, but it, it gets my synapses firing of like. Oh my God, like, how can I do that? I want to do that. And the thing is, I don't think, I think you can do that if you think about it long and hard enough. But ultimately, I don't think you can do that until you are put into that gauntlet. You have to be in the gauntlet in order to think that creatively. It's so interesting you bring it up because I think they learned the lesson you're talking about in After Midnight. Um, which is the, the the latest from Jeremy. And you don't really see the monster until the end of the film. It's a buildup right. to that. And it's basically Jeremy and flashbacks um, that lead with, with, uh, with uh, Bria Grant, I believe is the actress that's in the film. And you see that at the end, if I remember it correctly. But you're so right in what you're saying. And, you know, if you put your mind to, and I'll use Blair Witch Project as my example with it. The last few minutes of the Blair Witch Project in the cellar is one of the most brilliant pieces Mm. of of cinema because it's a matter of production design and sounds and POV that's rocky and really, really poor lighting and the way that, that you move through there. And then you've been building up the entire time with the one thing that has not been proven or shown. She puts you in the corner. And where's the character? Sitting in that corner, looking at the wall, waiting for the Blair Witch to come. And all of a sudden, the camera drops. And I'll tell you something. It even gives me chills right now thinking about it because of how effective it is where you have basically, and I don't know, I've never asked Ed Sanchez um, or, or a company about, you know, what happened with it. If it was one take, multiple takes. But if it was one take, it is one of the most effective one takes you've ever seen. One single long take of going through there in a location that at the core scares you. At the core, 
really taps into something. And then to add really simple stuff, handprints on the wall, the aspect of the, the little noises, the, 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 the breathing of the character coming down with the camera, shaky. I mean, it, Jeff, it's absolutely brilliant what they're able to do. And when you really, especially in a time like this, where it's so easy to make a film, you have all the technology there. But finding an original idea and going outside the creative bubble instead of going formulaic is really a challenge for a lot of people. There's a lot of filmmakers. And Jeff, you're honestly not one of them because Romeo's Distress, there is, there's influences, obviously, but it's an original concept that you're going with. Thank you. You know, it's in a constant being. And that's something for me. And there's another film I can highly recommend for you folks out there. I believe it's through Dark Skies. They they put it out. It's called The Deeper You Dig. And it's the atmosphere. Oh. Now, it's so funny because when you go to these film festivals and you see all these films, especially more of the experimental avant-garde, more the the definitely independent films, you expect these filmmakers to have all these wild creative ideas. Even I have right. some influences that I draw off of for within the frame. But the Adams family, John Adams, uh, Zelda Adams, and Toby Poser, who have been involved in so many areas of film and all for so many years, modeling, TV, all that stuff, none of it shows in their sensibilities of creating a film. And especially with The Deeper You Dig, it's all about a mother who loses her daughter and the man who ends up mistakenly killing her and how the girl comes back and haunts them both. Sounds like you've seen it 1,500 times. Right. But it's so innocent in the way they create it, using uh, using probably something like a Canon 5D. I don't know off the top of my head with it, what the camera was, but a really simplistic camera and using family communication, using filmmaking luck, creating practical sound, doing things really outside the box. So the reason why I say about filmmakers jumping up there and saying all their influences and methods. I, John and Zelda um, came to Fright Fest when I was there and the crowd was really interesting because the film guy accepting the Fright Fest, which is an achievement itself, great festival in London, highly recommend it. And they went up there and they're asking all these technical questions. They did this at Fantasia 2 where world premiered. Keep that in mind. And when you see the film, you'll, you'll be, you'll be in astonishment like I am every time I watch it. Their Q&As weren't about tripods and, and you know, Steadicam and, and these shots and all that. It was about the times they spent together on set creating the film. It was about taking an old piano that was sitting in one of the practical locations and John creating the sound design from scratch. It was things that were so wow. un-filmmaker-like for this kind of era with all this technology that you sit back and you appreciate and marvel that there is an innocence in filmmaking with a film like The Deeper You Dig. And it goes back to what you said about what Jeremy Gardner and, and, and Christian Stella and everyone involved with that production did with the battery and how they were able to be so smart and so creative and really make the film their own. When Jeremy does that dance in that musical number, oh, it's comes out of nowheres and it's it just changes the whole tone of it and adds a layer of humanity that I think the film would not be as effective without something like that. And that goes through the Blair Witch Project also. That myth that sticks with you all the way in the end and then it's paid off. That dance sequence, which you automatically invest in these characters, but that puts you over the top of that dance sequence. 
with the Adams family and the deeper you dig, when you look at it and you, you've seen the story a hundred times, but then there's a cold aspects that feel kind of new to you. And there's the idea of, of the practical locations and the real simple lighting techniques and the idea of natural light and, and how the chemistry of these actor director characters, just like Jeremy Gardner is in all of his films. He's the director, he's the writer, he's the producer, he's the actor, all that stuff. You see the appreciation of people who are actually being creative. And that's something that's really lost on a lot of filmmakers, especially in the modern era, because from so many different sides, Jeff, anyone can pick up a camera right now, an iPhone, and make a film. But are you making something that's original? Because many filmmakers just want that golden ring. Well, if I make a film, James Wan will notice me and I'll be famous and all that stuff. You, there's, that's sitting in the back of so many filmmakers' minds. But then you have people like Jeremy Gardner out of Atlanta. He's not out of L.A. He's out of Atlanta, where they do a lot of great TV productions. But it's really, really interesting when you get people who are actually creative and are willing to make films. And don't get me wrong. I'm not crapping on anyone, disrespecting anyone who makes a film. Of course not. Of course More not. More props than anything because you're creating something. But it really is a different class of filmmakers when you have that originality that comes along with it. And it's very hard to find it because everyone wants to be next John Carpenter, Wes Craven, Dario Argento. They're fantastic. But how about just being you? Isn't that enough? You know what kills me? You know what honestly kills me too? Like – it's so effort. I don't want to. I hope this is going to sound so lofty when I say this. Right. It's almost. It's it's almost so effortless to create something out of the box and quirky and weird for me right. personally. Right. And then what happens is I go, but how am I going? Like, is anybody going to like this or watch this or like appreciate yeah. this? And then I find myself trying to pull towards trends. I have this story that I've had in the back of my mind that I could just like, I know it would just, it would fall out of me like diarrhea and I would just be out filming it right in my backyard, just, just doing it. And, and I just know it would be great, like great in the sense of like, you know, I would just, that I would enjoy it and right, yada, yada, yada. Right, an accomplishment. but, but ultimately that much like my last film, the thing that, that really, I made something that was horror adjacent Right. That I was trying to shove in a horror box and was right. submitting to horror festivals because it wasn't going to play anywhere else. And ultimately only finding purchase in places that embraced like the midnight category, like Nightmares Film Festival, where okay. you have where you have like a midnight, which is just weird, the weird oddballs that just don't go anywhere else. And it's like, you know, this last script I tried to do was totally a little bit more commercial. And, or, you know, attempting to be something like that. And it's funny, like, I wasn't able to complete it. And I wonder if maybe that has part of the problem because I, like, was so busy trying to tell something like a commercial story. I'm very curious to get my boots back on the ground and see what happens if I tell a weird, quirky story, if it will come more effortlessly than trying to, uh, uh, what's it called? It's like what Wayne Gretzky says. Right. Uh, you don't want to don't chase the puck, go where the puck is going to be or whatever. Right. I guess. I don't anticipate. know. Yes. Yeah. Anticipate and whatnot. And, you know, with Jeremy Gardner, I mean, that's like, that's the thing too. Like what's so interesting is that those guys were like, kind of like cursed by what they had created. They'd become like the, these genius 
micro budget filmmakers and all they wanted to do was make a big budget film. They finally, or bigger budget film, I should say. And they finally did that. And I don't know where they are with that currently. I know they just shot a couple uh, some other stuff. Right. But I, my, my question is, is that like, was that, that was their, that seemed to be like a finishing goal. I follow their careers because again, right. I admire these guys so much. And I, I was kind of wondering, okay, so you made it to your goal. Now what? Or was it better to be where you were, where, you know, you're just like, you literally don't need anybody's permission because they waited for so long to get permission to make something else, which turned into After Midnight, which frankly is is very much marketed as a horror film, but in reality right. is uh, not that much uh, of a horror film. It no. has some horrific elements and fright and they're wonderful horrific elements. It's a and lifetime that, horror movie. That's what yeah. it is. And the it's gag the gag in the middle, that gag with the yeah. pitch black is just oh my God, it's excellent. But that's really besides the end, that's really and I remember thinking there's like six minutes left spoilers. There's like six minutes left, and I'm going, that was it? That was the whole thing? Yeah. And then, you know, Jeremy's like, no, trick ya, trick ya. <laughs> they had that last element, and I was like, yeah, dude, yeah. And it, like, It's so fascinating you say that, because when you deal with this, Jeff, and, and Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson are a great example of this. Hmm. If you've watched their film work starting before resolution and then moving forward to spring and then the endless and now with synchronic and now moving on to the moonlight or moon nights, you know, moonlight, moon night TV series for Marvel. I mean, they have been DIY for a long, long time. And you, if you really follow their work, you know, moving from the endless to synchronic was a huge step for them, but it also was a huge challenge for them. Because I think what you bring up with Jeremy and, and, and Christian and everyone involved with uh, After Midnight um, is really true. Because you go ahead and you want to create, you know, things that represent who you are. But the problem is that if you want to be a part of this industry, it doesn't work that way. You can create things the way you are, but you've got to pay your dues, common sense. But also, you've got to be willing to take another work because it's a great creative passion. But if you don't work, it's a poor man's passion, without a doubt. And I've been very lucky to work in other areas, so I'm able to, to go to festivals and finance my, my student short film. But that's not always going to be the way it is, because if you have bigger, loftier goals, more creative goals, whether they're your own or someone else's, you've got to be willing to go out there and work and say, you know what? Do I want to be a filmmaker or do I want to be a working filmmaker? And that small percent that that... that wants to be just a creative artist, that's great. More power to you. But you've got to be willing to play the game when it comes to it in whatever form it is. And there's so many forms that I couldn't sit here and begin to even describe to you what the forms are. But for someone like Aaron and Justin, they played the game. They're moving up now. But it's a learning lesson the entire way. And they've been very lucky to be able to create the stories that they wanted to. And they will continue to create. But it's not that for everyone. And you've got to be at the right place. I'm so glad, Jeff, you bring up film festivals because Nightmares, Macabre, the aspect of Genre Blast, again, shout to Nathan, among others. I mean, you look at these festivals and, you know, whether they're top tier, mid tier or low tier, you've got to find the festivals that fit you. And that's something that I'm, I'm really enjoying when it comes to Within the Frame is finding festivals that fit. And the ones that will take on something. And Torin Langen is a great example of what you're talking about with an experimental filmmaker. 
Three Dead Trick or Treaters. My favorite film from you two years ago. You love that. It was my favorite film. I sat with you. I was sitting with you when we watched it. Exactly right. Yeah. Macabre, right? Uh, not Macabre, uh, Nightmares, oh, right? Nightmare. Yeah, we watched yeah. it. Yeah. And I was so aggravated that they programmed that in the middle of the day and did not give that a priority like they should have. But that's another point altogether. Right. But looking at Torin, he's a great example of an artist who has so much amazing vision. But you can only go so far with that. I want to kill your creative sensibilities. But it's not the reality in 99.9% of this community. And if you find the right festivals, the right eyes, the right networking, you may be able to do that. But it's a big challenge to be able to do that. And that's been one of the blessings with Horror Happens Radio, with the film festival travels. I've been able to meet so many amazing people, including those festival directors, including the producers. And I'm willing to be, I'm willing to be able to work with those people and hopefully create something. And, you know, not sell out my sensibilities, but a lot of filmmakers aren't willing to do that because they want it to be their own statement. You got to go beyond that, in my opinion. Well, you know, what's funny, too, is um, I I do agree with everything you just said, but I'll add this. Please. Um, it's I feel like I feel like that what you just said doesn't is not an issue or in terms of like from the financial aspects when. If you're the type of person that has a following or has people that are going to buy your shit, right? If you have people that are going to buy your shit, you can make whatever the fuck you want and then just sell it to them. You don't need to go through what I mean by that is you don't have to go through all the, you know, because at the end of the day, right now, like, like, um, this distributor deals suck and they are glory, it's glorified validation of it's glorified validation of success. Oh, I got a deal, you know, and that's not me hating on people that get deals. Like again, like mo- like more power to whoever can get a deal, but, right. but, but what they don't tell you or while you're sitting there, you know, crying about how everybody got a deal, but you, what you're not, what you're not realizing is they're not making any money either, or they're making right. very little money or they were supposed to make money and they didn't get money or they got a money guarantee and that's all they ever saw of their thing. Right. And so at the end of the day, it really just becomes, it really just becomes a brand, uh, 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 elevating your brand. So if yeah. you have an audience that is going to, you know, uh, purchase your wares, you potentially, there is a way to make, you know, your unique original art, something like three dead trick or treaters and potentially make some money. You just have to have people that are into your shit. And that's, that's a whole other, <laughs> but that's the tricky part of it though. You're right. Yeah. Though. And, and yeah. Look at trauma as an example of that. And James yeah. Balsamo is someone that I draw to that because James Balsamo is the modern day version of Lloyd Kaufman meets Roger Corman. And Wait, he is, who is, who is this guy? James Balsamo acid bath productions on, he used to be in, in, um, New York, and he's over in Los Angeles for years now, and he's done okay. all these films. He is a constant professional salesman, producer, PR, everything. He's the biggest wow, person you ever want to meet. And he's incredible, and he's exactly what you're talking about. But here's the thing, though. That's fine. You can go ahead and do that, but guess what? You also are creating what James is creating, which is, yeah, it's film, yeah, it's content, but on any sort of thing, it's more about going from one p- aspect of making the film, post, and then putting it out. But no festival run, no notoriety. You're building a brand based on 
going to festivals, based on going to conventions and just selling your DVDs there. That's a decision you have to make about it. Do you want to be that particular person who is more of the salesman and barker um, creating schlocky content in most cases? Or do you want to be a filmmaker who is more than that? It's a big challenge that filmmakers face all the time. And with COVID, it's become even tougher now because a lot of festivals are not there. So basically, these distribution houses are offering deals right up front saying, we'll put your film out instead of letting it sit in the can. We'll put it on, on VOD. We'll go ahead and do it a limited run. And for some people, it's right. But Jane, but for James, it works um, when he does a lot of the, the self-distribution. But Jeff, it doesn't work for everybody. So I understand no, what you're saying, and I don't disagree with you, but it's a case-to-case basis depending on where you want to go with it. And right. in film school, they are definitely, in my experience so far, they're definitely not teaching you that. They want you to expand out further than something like that. But that's not the reality of it for many people. Right. And that's the challenge to it. Look at all the titles. I was in bite school. I got bitten by Edmund Young. <laughs> I love how we were passing by this random ass film. And you're just like, oh, yeah, I was in that. <laughs> I, yeah, I was in that. And that's what's great about James. James gives opportunity wow. to everyone. He's such a great guy. He's such a salesman. Um, you know, you can't you can't argue with what it is. In fact, what's he like? Hold on, so do I have any in here? What, I mean, this guy's living my dream kind of right now. Wait, hold on. Wait, 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 let me give a shout out to James. Hang on a second. Yeah. James really cool. was one of the first interviews I ever did, and he gave me this signed doll of the American Executioner. Scroll up. Uh, oh, yeah, I can see. Wait, hold up. on. Hack job. Keep scrolling up uh. on the website. Oh, Scroll okay. Through. Hold on one second. Hold on. Yeah. But keep going. Uh, Right there. That one. Wait. Scroll down. Scroll down. After cool as hell. This one right here. Yeah. yeah. That one. This one. I spill your guts. I spill your guts. <laughs> so shout out to James. And it's been a long time, but he is a cool dude. But he is a success story because he's going by what you say. But a lot of filmmakers, with the reality of it, they don't want that. But they may end up having to do that to make a it depends on what you have going for you based on the experience. But James has, has turned it into an art form. So more power to him. Wow. I'm kind, <laughs> of blown of away by the, I'm kind of blown away by this dude. He's just like blowing my mind right now. It's like really cool. He's great, man. He's a cool dude. He's that is cool. cool. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to check that out later. Check that out more later. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, listen, it, it's, it's just a – it's a giant upward hill struggle to to make stuff. I'm currently right, right now. I've I've uh, dusted off a, a documentary project with all the fe- all the interviews have been mostly nice. shot, and I'm like, in the age of COVID, what better way to you know? Because here's the Same. other thing that I've learned too: if you if you get if if you get uh uh you know if you get sidetracked sidelined with something you're doing. Always have three other things. Oh, without a doubt. Never limit yourself whatsoever. In fact, it's funny right. you say that because my next thing I'm working on right now is a documentary. I'm working on the proof of concept as part of my documentary workshop for this semester um, pertaining to the late 90s swing movement, the music movement. Oh. I'm working on that now, but I'm waiting for it to subside because I want to be able to go out on the road uh. and do interviews. But I'm working on the proof of concept so I can present something by the end of the year. So I can maybe not have to pay for everything myself for a change. 
Right. So, so yeah. That's, that the one thing that comes good with paying paying for everything by yourself is that you own it. You have if, creative control and you own it. Exactly. You own it. I think that's the most, I mean, that's the lesson that I think a lot of filmmakers are learning, especially with, I don't know, did you know what just happened to Am with Amazon Prime? No, what happened with Amazon Prime? Massive Amazon apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Every, all the short films that were on Amazon, all the features and short films that were on Amazon Prime from like the indie horror community. Oh, I heard about this. All, all destroyed, all deleted. Romeo's distress, you can't see it anymore. That's that's long gone. Um, and it's just like, I, you, you know, that's why I'm just like, I'm never going to get a, I, I'm just going to try and press up my own DVDs and right. sell them at a convention the next time that there's a convention to sell them at and call it a day. Like, I don't exactly. know what else to do. No, you know? and, and that's the thing. When you have creative projects like this, and Torin is a great example of this as well, there's only so many places you can go with what your work. And again, you want to be right. creative, but if you don't follow, in the opposite vein, the form, the formula, you might not be going much further. So you've got to find that compromise of what you want to do and what you want to be, you know, right. and that, and that right. comes from interviews upon conversations, upon experiences of filmmakers. That's not, you know, that's something that every filmmaker I know goes through at one point or another. Uh, listen, if anybody knows it's you, Jay, because as, <laughs> as Jay has professed, he has interviewed thousands of yep. people, like literally thousands of people. He is yep. like, he he knows you know even if you're even if you're um you're fairly at the beginning of your filmmaking journey you are well traveled in the community and yes. the ins and outs of this industry and understand things from so many different perspectives yep. so that that is not to you know uh, that that must be taken into effort let me ask you this question sure yeah um, I want to go on a, I just want to go on a separate tangent I was looking because I was looking through my letterbox to see what else I had recently seen to sort of compare notes with you, see if you've seen, because I know you said you've seen a little bit. I just watched Antebellum. Have you seen Antebellum? I did not like Antebellum whatsoever. I I was very, I'm very conflicted about Antebellum. I, I was so angry about the way that they sold it and the way. Yeah, and the tell me why. Tell me because, why. Okay, so, so. The idea of Antebellum is very powerful. It's an right. incredible, yes. well-done film. I have no issue with whatsoever. It tells an important message. But my problem is when and, – and it's Blumhouse, correct? It's not Blumhouse, but Who it is, feels sure? like a Blumhouse. I don't think it's Blumhouse. Because I thought it was Blumhouse. But nonetheless, whoever it is, because Blumhouse has a tendency to do this once in a while too. So if it's not, yeah. my apologies. But when you see this movie – it's sold as a horror film. And yes, it is a horror film. But I hate, not only do I hate hype, but I also hate the fact when we're lied to when it comes to promotion. And mm. if you write this to be a film that tells a somewhat supernatural story about the horrors of done to an entire race of people, more power to you. Tell that story confront us with what the truth is or at least what we what is believed to be a truth in the storytelling but don't lie to me about getting me to watch it that mm. is really really it insults my intelligence and then all of a sudden i go i really don't want to see this because you know why should i invest in your movie and this goes across the board with get out was another one get out i came to love get out i loved us i saw us at south by southwest world premiere 
I didn't like Get Out at the beginning because I went in with so much hype and I had issues with it, with the way the story was constructed, the way characters are constructed. And listening to Jordan Peele talk about it more and watching it more, I understand it and I enjoy it much more than I did before. But don't go in there selling me something that's one way because you want to gain dollars and you want to gain clicks and you want to gain an audience that might not be there for it. Come straight out with it. And I know that's not the reality for many uh, PR, but I really was turned off by the film. And I haven't watched it. I watched it once during uh, putting together the list from last year. And it was rough to get through. It really was right. You, you know what my problem was with it? I, I, it was. I found it to be incredibly interesting okay. for the most part. But you know what I thought really hurt the film greatly? Uh, there's no characterization. No, there's no, there's no character. It's, it's all based on conflict. It, yeah, it's all plot and conflict. It's a very yeah. interesting idea. That that frankly, but it feels like a half baked idea in the sense that yeah. it just sort of it just doesn't. I mean, it takes a little bit. I don't even want to say what it is for. I don't want to spoil. This right, one. exactly. Don't. It, yeah, this thing doesn't. You know, this if if <laughs> it's it needs every it needs all the help it can get. So I'm not going to spoil. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and that and again, that's the thing. It's important that you watch it, but going not knowing. Because if you go in with, with the hype and the promotion, you're going to be let down. Especially if you're a horror fan, you're going to be let down. And maybe it's my my short-sightedness. Maybe it's, it's not a horror film. Culture. No, it's, it's not. not even close. But, it's not but, a horror film. But you look at something like this, and it's important to watch. Just sell it right. Just sell it the way it should be and stop trying. Because it cheapens what the story is about by the way they promote it. You know in what's my, funny? I, I I say this like all the time. I feel like a broken record when I say this. Right. Um, a movie really truly does get written four different times. Ready? Right. It yes. gets written. It gets written when it's written. It gets written during the production. Right. It gets written again when it's being edited. The last time a movie gets written is during the marketing, where the movie doesn't even change. Like the movie stays the same. Right. But the marketing materials present the movie in a way that perhaps it's not. And when you, yes, you do watch it and it does have the tone. It does. There's a lot of, there is some shared DNA with, with between Antebellum and Get Out, except I just yeah. think Get Out is just so much smarter. Oh, it's, very way it, yeah. it's just so smart. It's just such a brilliant film. Uh, and, and Antebellum, is has some moments that are 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 truly. I mean, it's a terrifying film. Um, but again, the the problem is that there's just no there's no story behind the characters. There's yeah. just just you don't feel like you, you, it's not. It's very hard to get invested into. And they do little things like when they use the name professor, and right. I went, oh, I said that's interesting. Tell me more. Oh wait, no, you're not. You're not going to tell me more. So I have like a. Uh, I I I do, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just think that uh, I I needed more than what I got. That's and I, I feel. I and you know what? I don't disagree with you. It runs over an hour and forty five minutes, which is also a challenge to get through for somewhat of a period piece. It's not easy to get through. You know when it comes to and I've watched plenty of long long movies, but it's just for me it wasn't my cup of tea. You know, for all the reasons I that it. I did. 
I I totally totally get it. So let me ask you this: What are you you're you're you, you're coming up with a proof of concept for the swing documentary? Uh, you're doing the 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 dark program through Monoclair. Uh, what do you have next on the horizons film wise? Do you have any uh, upcoming ideas for shorts? Anything like that? No, I, I'm working on the proof of concept right now, and and you know this is going to be kind of a little off the the beaten trail here, but. Swing 46, which is one of the great swing clubs on Restaurant Row in Manhattan, um, they're doing a GoFundMe right now to just survive. And they're one of several jazz clubs in Manhattan's money because of what was going on. And when you deal with the aspect of this, I found a really incredible story once I ended up um, moving into a different house uh, at the beginning of COVID. And I got more in contact and more, you know, connected to what I used to do, which was swing, big band, jazz, jump, who's a rockabilly. And I, you know, got back into doing DJing and, and recorded some radio programs. Absolutely loved it. It was, it was a passion. I've always been a horror fan, but this was a passion before I got really ingrained in the horror a couple decades ago. And as I sat back, I found that that movement of swing music from the late 90s, actually the mid 90s, all the way through the early 2000s, it's like a ghost story. Because if you really don't know much about it, you know, I could bring up Brian Setzer, Cherry Pop and Daddy's Big Bad right. Everyone knows that. But there's 50 more bands that you have no clue about. And the movement went from underground, rose up, and then went back under. Well, connecting it to Swing 46, Swing 46 at the height was one of the premier places in Manhattan. Now it's slowly disappearing because of the pandemic, because of the mm -hmm. lack of interest. They've had to expand their programming. They're going into a GoFundMe where if they don't raise a certain amount of money, there's a chance they're going to go away. So the proof of concept surrounds Swing 46 and the people that are involved with it. It's a it's a five minute mini doc focusing on doing an interview with one particular person. But there's a lot of footage surrounding it. So that's what I'm working on now. I want to be able to get that proof of concept done. Uh, as part of my new semester with the, the audio production, cinematography, nice. and workshop. So that's what I'm looking to do right now. And I'm staying away for, from shorts right now because the next – this year, Jeff, I'll be submitting yeah. to festivals. And the great thing about virtual festivals is why it sucks not to have something on site. It's also less expensive to submit through to virtual yeah. festivals, <laughs> which is a compromise, but it's a smart compromise. You know, yeah. it's part about being a producer. And knowing where you can spend your money and what you can spend your money on, what's that priority? So I want to submit the short in. I want to do festivals this year if they're willing to accept it, knock on wood. And I want to work on that proof of concept for, um, you know, what will ultimately be the ghost story that is the retro swing movement of the mid-90s and the early 2000s. Uh, I have to tell you, uh, first of all, that's that's awesome. Thank you. Um, I I think that is uh, uh, there's definitely there's definitely something to be said about the difference between a digital festival versus an in person festival. And I have to tell you, I wanna uh, I wanna shout out um, Stephen uh, Stephen Stull from yes. Sick and Wrong. Sick and who, Wrong. Who yeah. who has become a a good friend this year? Just over you know we've done a bunch of podcast stuff and. Right. Uh, just uh, really, really uh, started to uh, connect with this guy. Really enjoy his company, you know, in, in doing doing stuff. And 
Um, he he runs as a, you know as you know he runs sick and wrong and in he Orlando. Had, yeah right in Orlando and he had a brilliant idea this December he did um, a seventy two hour film debacle right and I got to tell you you know between him and um, his partner Jennifer they put together this whole like thing. You know, it was like 25 teams. No, maybe it was 36 teams. Okay. It was 36 teams and 25 completed the film. You had 72 hours. You were given two mystery elements. It was essentially a, a 72-hour film festival. Like Iron Chef here, you know? It was, dude, it was a filmmaking Iron Chef, which is just like, again, this is not a new con- this is not a, a, a new concept. It's been done a, a, a lot. But what made it really fun was... A because it was sick and wrong. The the elements were right. very interesting. I mean, there was stuff like, you know, a, a surprising body part or right. uh, a, an inappropriate sexual response to external stimuli, like all these different <laughs> things that you had to incorporate into your story. And talking about all the creative things that we were just talking about, about like the stuff that you just have to do. And then from that point on with my filmmaking team, we, it took a, we completed a, an eight minute short in 72 hours. Wow. And I have, I got to tell you, I, I'll send it to you. It's currently, it's currently, uh, I sent it to a couple more festivals, but I'll, I'll send it to you. Uh, uh, the, the screener it, I have never had so much fun making a short with a bunch of people. Cause we were just, we were racing, man. We were racing, and there's not a lot of dialogue for the reason that we didn't want to get tripped up. We didn't want to get tripped up in dialogue, you know, um, when we only had 72 hours. The whole thing from writing to uploading, we did in 70 hours. I was very proud of that. That's awesome, dude. And we got – What did you get? Wow, that's fantastic. That's that's an enamel pin. And you know what I wow. like about this? I listen, a lot of festivals do enamel pins. This is not unoriginal, but what's great about this one is that this is also like an accomplishment. This is right. you only got this if you completed the 72-hour film festival. So I feel like a film general with my with my badge that's of awesome. honor. Yeah, I just think it's a great. You are the pattern of the of the the event there, Mike. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I just like I kind of wanna I want to collect like I never wanted to collect enamel pins, right. but I want to connect enamel pins that come as a result of completing that's awesome short films in in seventy two hours. And and then the uh, best part was he had it on eBright. He did an eBright right. thing, so we all watched communally. We were all able to watch each other's films, and I that's had awesome. the best time from just sitting in my house you know like the the films literally played three days later and it was just it was it was really something else and i hope i hope that steven is able to do it again next year because i will i will freaking be there Uh, he's such a good dude man he just dropped today um on his on his podcast we did two and a half hours almost talking about such a range of things wait uh, on steven's you, podcast yeah yeah we just yeah wait a minute wait you yeah. you were on yeah. the whole uh the holdout with uh oh, yeah exactly yeah Dude. <laughs> two and a half hours we talked thinking of darkness festivals filmmaking uh a lot of journalistic pursuits and it was wonderful and real quick i want to yeah. give a shout out because i did not see the comment section and there have been people commenting and we've got lh oh my god tons 
And I'm going to go down here. And by the way, thank I, you for I, the yes. compliment on the oh, hold on. Let me show I them. Let them. me show them. I, I, I didn't even I didn't see these. Thank you. Look at this. Oh, my movie God. Freaks. Yeah. Did you miss talking about that old two disturbing? No, we didn't talk freaks from uh, Val Luton. We wait, was Val uh, Todd, uh, Todd Browning. We didn't talk to that freaks. We're talking about the one that was done by Adam Stein and um, Zach Lipiski, right? Lipiski, who which played a huge festival run, has Emile Hirsch in it, it has Bruce Dern in it. It's really a really interesting film. And again, go into it with not knowing anything, it's definitely incredible. Yeah, no movies or live music. You're exactly right. It does suck with it. But you know what, though? It will return soon. And when it does, embrace it. Because if you don't embrace things like digging into the darkness or film festivals or conventions or discussion series like the Coolidge Corner Theater in Mass does a great one with a wide range of films, spend the money supporting that when you can't go out and do these things. Because if you don't, it's a business and it won't be around. End the story. COVID's hitting everything hard, but especially oh, sure. those kind of things with the arts. Wait, wait, I used to do makeup for a little crazy films. Never got tired of painting. Oh, yeah, it was just disrespectful. I agree. And that's the problem nowadays. People expect that you'll you'll do it for nothing. And I got news for you. Even if it's something small, you always pay the cast and crew if you can. You always do. Oh, no. Oh, oh wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. There's one way to watch Romeo's Distress. Still. It's not the best way. It's uh -oh. through Vimeo. You can Vimeo. still watch Romeo's Distress through Vimeo. For anybody who wants to watch it, it is available. I hate Google tons. You can still watch it here. Uh, that's where I put all the um that that's the only place. And you know what's funny? That's where I get that's where I get the biggest cut. Isn't that the funniest thing? Like, you know, <laughs> Vimeo is the only one that gives you the biggest cut out of all the out of all those spots. It's Who is Indie funny. Brigade? Who is Indie Brigade? Yes, I agree. Get Out did drag on the first time I saw it, but I guarantee you, if you watch it with Peel's commentary, it changes the whole film for you. I got to watch that commentary. Yeah, it's fantastic with it. Good stuff, guys. Yes. Indie Brigade. That I'd like to know because I see you Friday. Oh, I know who Indie Brigade is. I is this from George Romero's Indie Brigade? Yes. I'm going to be on their yeah. show Friday. Dude, you're just like, you're just, you're on the circuit. Jeff, I'm so appreciative and thankful, including yourself, for folks having me on. And it's great to talk digging the into the darkness, but just talking about all the different things. It's just it's incredible. And I'm so thankful for everyone that's had me a part and has been supporting and promoting the things I've been doing and talking with me about it. So thank hey, you. you. You want to know something? I, I have always been appreciative of your support. You've always been very supportive. And I've always just wanted to extend extend the same uh, when when I when I can. That's all. Yeah. That's all that's about. So. Yeah, that's all you get. That's all you can do because in a yep. business like this, you know, in the filmmaking, you should always compensate somehow if possible. But in something yeah. like this, there's not compensation that goes along with podcasts and stuff like that. It's no, more just cool and beneficial resources, if right. any. You know, or at least give them credit. Exactly right. Give them credit on what they do. And I'll tell you what, real quick, I'm going to give credit. To every single person that has ever been a part of this, which is massive amounts. So thank you to everyone who's ever supported in the things I've done. And thank you, especially again, to Sarah and Emily and Dennis and Dave and my Aunt Linda and my cousin Andrew and the ghost and Susan and everyone for everything that they've done with Within the Frame. And of course, Sue 
Jill and Tom at Montclair Film for digging in darkness. So I can't. Hell yeah. That. So. So listen, guys, you know what the deal is. I'll put the, yep. I'm going to put the links in the thing. Please um, do. It's it's uh, starting to get a little past my bedtime here. Yes, me too. So I gotta gonna, get <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, he's a little yanni. I got to wake up for small children in the morning. But listen, Jay, I got to tell you. you, this was so much fun. And I can't wait until our paths cross in the future, hopefully on at some festival. We can go get uh, a meal of some kind right. like we did at that one time. And uh, just uh, chew the fat about uh, uh, the latest horror films. Truly. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, uh, you know, you 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 guys want to check out what I do, go to SoundCloud under Scratching uh, the Surface and Horror Happens Radio. And for Digging in Darkness, if you want to join us, we start this Sunday. And it's one hour every single Sunday for, the, or for, for five Sundays in a row. A lot of great Netflix streaming horror. Watch it before. Come with discussion with uh, the people creating it screen to screen. Go to moncourtfilm.org under the 16 and above education uh, link and register. It's a small fee, but support because we, we, we want you to be a part of it and enjoy educational and entertaining horror. We we if you go back earlier in this podcast, you can actually see a breakdown of that because we, exactly. we shared the screen. Thank so you, you do Dad. that, and we'll have the link. So, uh, what what do I always say on this thing? Oh yeah, now I remember. Peace and hair grease. <laughs> <laughs>